Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the Roaring Twenties and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. All right. Well, today we can jump right into Garrett's 10 seconds. Well, most of the week, I've just been putting up like stuff in our house. Blinds, mirrors. Who would have thought it'd be such a handyman? You know what I'm saying? He really does walk around with his little drill. <laughs> no, but it's, I don't know. We've just been putting up. I ordered. So before we've done it, we're like, we, you know, get blinds, um, like have someone come in, get a quote and they install them. And so I just went to this website, measured everything, ordered them and just installed all them. It's saved, a scam. It's, yeah. It saved us so much money and they look great. So if you do that for a living, sorry, but yeah. Okay, we won't say it's a scam if you do it for a living. <laughs> yeah. but. No, but it worked out good just to do it ourselves. We just saved a bunch of money. Yeah, it was great. And it was good for me to learn how to do it. So that's what we did this week. Been hanging out with Daisy. She's currently chewing on the plant in front of us. But it's okay because it keeps her distracted. Because last time we were recording ads. She was a little She was devil. a little demon. Oh, yeah, she was. <laughs> she was biting the mics, barking. She was going crazy. She was in a little mood. Anyways, short and sweet today, so let's hop right into it. Also, if I do sound a little different today or out of breath, I am currently just fighting off a cold, so that is why, and I'm sorry in advance. All right, our episode sources are Invisible Killer, The Monster Behind the Mask, Murderpedia by Diana Montaigne, Murderpedia.org, Wikipedia, CaseTrueCrimeCorner.com, Florida Keys Missing and Unsolved, and Newspapers.com. 
So for our listeners who live in Florida, you know that hurricane season is simply just a fact of Florida life and you can't escape it and you've got to be prepared. From June to November each year, every news report of a new tropical depression puts you on edge because you've at least seen images of the devastation a hurricane can cause. Most recently, it was Hurricane Ian that destroyed so many homes on Florida's Gulf Coast. Even the strongest shutters can't protect your house from being leveled by a direct hit from a Category 4 or 5 hurricane. Sometimes the only thing to do is protect your house the best you can and then evacuate the area. So in September 2004, that's exactly what Charlie and Terry Brandt decided to do when it seemed inevitable that Hurricane Ivan would reach Category 5 strength and sweep over their home in the Florida Keys. And when you think of the Florida Keys, you may only think of Key Largo and Key West, but actually there are 800 keys in the Florida Keys. Among them are Raccoon Key, Little Duck Key, Sunset Key, Long Key, No Name Key. That's creepy. Why not name the key? And then there's Big Pine Key, and that's where the Brants lived. Charlie Brandt was a 47-year-old radar technician who worked for Lockhead Martin, and he'd been married to his wife, Terry, since 1986. While Charlie earned pretty good money as a radar specialist, Terry also earned through working reception in a dentist's office to be financially self-efficient. And they ended up not having kids, so both of them were able to maintain full-time jobs, and with their combined incomes, they built a house on Big Pine Key in 1988. And now, in September 2004, they were faced with the possibility that this house, the one that they'd now shared for over 15 years, could possibly be destroyed by the forces of nature. So they shuttered it, they boarded it up well, and they got ready to evacuate. Terry's 37-year-old niece, Michelle Jones, had a house up in Maitland, which is just outside of Orlando, and also away from the projected path of the hurricane. And so that's where the Brants were headed to stay. That's so scary, hurricanes. Oh, it's terrifying. Because they're just so devastating. Charlie and Terry had actually stayed with Michelle once before, a few years earlier, when their house was undergoing repairs and her door was always open to them. So after accepting the invitation, Charlie and Terry packed some bags and drove their Subaru out back across the seven-mile bridge to the Florida mainland and then north on I-95 and the Florida Turnpike making the six-hour trek to Michelle's house, arriving there on Saturday, September 11th. Now, the mood was a bit off from the get-go, from the moment that the Brants arrived. Charlie seemed preoccupied and had this kind of faraway look in his eyes, and he seemed really uneasy. I mean, he was probably worried about his house, you'd think. But by the time they arrived, it was, in fact, already looking like the hurricane had changed its path and wasn't going to hit the keys after all. So maybe Charlie was just annoyed that they'd gone through all of this trouble and made this trip for nothing. That happens every year. That's hurricane season for you. Mm -hmm. You go through all this prep and then... Nothing happens. But I guess it's better to be safe than sorry. For sure. So Florida seems to have a devastating hurricane once every three decades. And at the time Hurricane Ivan was threatening Florida in 2004, Hurricane Andrew had happened only 12 years earlier. And that hurricane absolutely obliterated residential parts of Miami. 65 people died and over 60,000 houses were destroyed. Wow. Causing $27 billion in damage. So hurricanes are serious business. Like I said, it was probably better safe than sorry for them to board up their house. 
But it looked like Hurricane Ivan was going to show Florida some mercy. However, there Charlie and Terry were anyway, seven hours away from the comforts of their home. Once they settled into their niece's house, Charlie phoned his dad and sister Jessica to tell them that they'd arrived in town. His dad and sister lived about an hour away in Ormond Beach, which is a city on Florida's coast near Daytona Beach. Charlie made plans to go see his dad the next day, and Terry had, for a long time, recognized that Charlie had kind of an uneasy relationship with his family. She wasn't actually that sure why Charlie didn't talk much about his family history. It did seem like kind of a complicated relationship, though. In fact, Charlie didn't even invite his family to the wedding. But then again, neither did Terry. They had a small wedding with only close friends, even though that wedding was in Ormond Beach where Charlie's family lived. So it's a little weird, but you know, not all couples are as close with their family. The day after they arrived at their niece Michelle's house, Charlie and Terry set out for his dad's house and they got there at around two in the afternoon. They drank some beers and then drove to his little sister's house for a dinner. Hopefully they weren't driving under the influence, you know, but Charlie continued to be in a weird mood. He was distracted. He was a little bit irritable. It was almost like he didn't want to be there. Charlie told Terry during the visit, I think it's safe for us to go back home. He almost had an urgency in his Mm. voice. He began insisting that they pack up and return as soon as possible. Which is not like they were in a boring area. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they're still on the coast. They haven't seen family forever. They hadn't even been away from their home for 24 hours. He explains to his family he didn't even want to evacuate in the first place. He then informed everyone that they would be leaving the next day. Mm. No one really quite understood what the hurry was, though the tension between Charlie and Terry felt obvious at this point, like you could tell the couple was fighting. No one knew what may have been going on between them, but it felt like something was amiss. Meanwhile, Charlie's older sister, Angela, wasn't able to join the family get-together, but Charlie gave her a call just to check in. She told him that she was sorry she hadn't been able to attend, but asked him if they could maybe get together the following day, but Charlie said it wasn't possible. Sorry, I have plans, he said. We're staying with Michelle. Maybe next time. At the end of the evening, as Charlie and Terry were saying goodbye to his family, Charlie's clipped demeanor suddenly changed. Maybe it was all that alcohol that made him finally open up because Charlie hugged his family as though it was the last time he'd ever see them. They then drove back to their niece Michelle's house and by this point, Hurricane Ivan had already bypassed the Keys, shifted its path and appeared to be headed toward Alabama. I'm curious what he could have done. I mean, it sounds like he was just gone with his family, but they left the house. Like what... Like, is there a dead body in the house? Like, what's going on? I know. Why is he so urgent to get back? So urgent, yeah. I mean, well, if you drive the seven hours thinking you're just going to wait out the hurricane and then the hurricane doesn't come, it's not like you had any plans there. So maybe he's like, I just want to get home. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Either way, Florida had been spared entirely. But then the next day on Monday... Charlie appeared to be as fickle as the hurricane. He now wanted to stick around another day. And Terry was growing annoyed by her husband's indecisiveness. What? Yeah, she's like, what do you mean? As the day wore on, both Charlie and Terry were drinking pretty much nonstop, and their interaction was growing tenser and more contentious. It was uncomfortable for Michelle, not just because they were in her home and not just because they were her family. Um, She didn't like seeing them fight, but it was a total contrast with their personalities. 
They were both a bit eccentric in their own specific ways. Terry was what you'd call a free spirit, a late blooming flower child who pretty much said whatever was on her mind at any given time. Charlie had an engineering brain with a kind of goofily awkward presence. And he was the sort of guy who always wore shorts and the Hawaiian shirts. Mm, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking he about. He had a rugged, outdoorsy kind of charm. But now, in the presence of their niece in her home, there was no trace of that charm. It was just pure acrimony from the time they got up till the sunset. That evening, Michelle got a call from a friend of hers, a friend named Lisa Emmons. Lisa was checking in on plans that they'd had to hang out that night at Michelle's place. But on this particular night, Michelle discouraged Lisa from coming over. Things were tense. She explained her aunt and uncle were staying with her. They'd been drinking all day and they just had had a huge argument. Lisa was like, okay, that's okay. That sucks. I'm sorry. That's an awkward situation to be in. A third will in your own home, basically. So she says, I'll just check in tomorrow. Mm. Michelle was grateful to her friend for her flexibility and looked forward to giving her the play-by-play the following day once her aunt and uncle hopefully had gone back home. I don't know where this is going. I have no idea right now. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. So the next day, Lisa called Michelle's house, but the phone just rang and rang. No one answered. She waited a little while longer and called back, but again, there was still no answer. Then another friend of Michelle's called the house, a friend named Debbie Knight, and she also got no answer. And she'd called the house several times that day, as did members of Michelle's family. The The calls all went unanswered all day long. On Wednesday, the next day, Debbie called her mom and told her she was worried about her friend Michelle. She couldn't figure out why she'd be unavailable for so long. It was out of character for her. She says, I'm going to go over to the house, stay on the phone with me. I just want to check. So she drove over to Michelle's house, which was pretty close by. She got out of her car and knocked on the front door and waited, but no one came to the door. She couldn't hear anyone inside. She tried turning the knob, but it was locked and the window shades were all drawn. So she went around to the garage and tried pulling up the garage door and it started to move. It was unlocked. She pulled it up and walked into the garage and once inside, she was shocked by what she saw. It was Charlie Brandt, Michelle's uncle hanging by his neck from the rafters. He was hanging by bed sheets and he had already begun decomposing. Debbie was shaken and her mother could hear it. What's wrong? Her mom asked. Debbie told her, Michelle's uncle Charlie, I think hanged himself. He's dead right in front of me. So her mom urged her to hang up the phone and call the police. So she did. Police and paramedics arrived and police entered the house and immediately realized that Charlie Brandt hanging from the rafters was only a preview of the horrors that awaited them inside. I was going to say, where's the rest of them? Right? Slumped over on the couch in the living room was the body of Terry Brandt. That's Charlie's wife. She had seven stab wounds. And in her bedroom was Terry's niece, Michelle. And the condition of Michelle's body made all the first responders lose their composure. She hadn't just been stabbed. She had been decapitated. What? Disemboweled. Her heart was cut out of her, as well as all of her other organs. Her left leg was removed with what appeared to be surgical precision, and both of her breasts had been cut off. How is this even possible? And then Michelle's head had been placed on the bed next to her and turned towards her as though facing the rest of her body. And it's, I mean, obviously the most shocking scene that these law enforcement professionals had ever seen. In Michelle's kitchen, police found knives that appeared to have been the instruments used to kill and dismember. This appeared to be no ordinary murder-suicide, which is what it looked like. 
Not that there's any such thing as an ordinary murder-suicide, but there was clearly something deeper at work here, something sick. A search of the Brant's house down in Big Pine Key, the house that they had just temporarily evacuated, revealed a few of the pieces to the puzzle. We're jumping into an ad right now, and I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make you sick i'm not saying that it 100 works for everybody because obviously you never know but all i'm saying is i haven't been sick since i started taking it well and the science behind it is so cool armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80 percent of your immune cells are housed and it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season plus in clinical trials bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu we've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. All right, you guys, Audible is your one-stop app for all things audio entertainment, from bestsellers and the latest releases to celebrity memoirs and gripping mysteries. Audible's library is brimming with countless genres to love and new discoveries to make. Dive into an unparalleled selection of audiobooks and explore exclusive Audible originals brought to life by top celebrities, renowned experts, and fresh voices. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog in including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Plus, you can enjoy unlimited access to a growing selection of audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts such as Murder With My Husband. Honestly, I love Audible because I will get into a story while I'm cleaning or driving. Sometimes I get so hooked listening to a story, I just end up finding new places to clean or just end up sitting in my car, which drives Garrett nuts, but I'm out there sitting there. New members can explore Audible free for 30 days. Also this March through May, the Audible sweep you into a realm of intrigue and suspense with their mystery and thriller collection, featuring exclusive new thrillers from their best-selling authors. Their selection is designed to captivate and surprise ensuring your heart rate remains as elevated as your imagination. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. That's audible.com slash MWMH or text MWMH to 500-500. Inside the house, they found a vast collection among Charlie Brandt's stuff of books about surgery, as well as posters and clippings of both images from surgery, as well as lingerie pictures. Charlie was a monthly subscriber to Victoria's Secret catalogs. 
And the search history on his computer revealed that he frequently searched online for stuff like autopsy photos and sexual violent images, mm. even visiting snuff film websites. A snuff okay. film, for those who don't know, is an amateur movie made for the purpose of documenting an actual murder for the entertainment of the sickos behind the camera and I, whatever sickos might be drawn to I that. didn't know that. I thought it was something else completely. So sickos obviously like Charlie Brandt, but what Jesus investigators Jesus. began learning, and maybe this is the reason Charlie didn't want his family at his wedding, was that everyone in Charlie's family already knew he was a murderer. What? And How? had worn this title for most of his life. It all began back on January 4th, 1971. Why is the wife even with him? When Charlie Brandt was only 13 years old. Charlie and his family had moved around a lot up to this point because of his dad's career. But at this time, they were living in a two-story house in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they had just returned home from a vacation in Florida, which was where the kids' grandparents lived. At this time, Charlie's immediate family consisted of himself, his father Herbert, his mother Ilsa, and his three sisters, Angela, Melanie, and Jessica. Angela was older than Charlie. She was 15, while Jessica and Melanie were three years old and two years old, respectively. So there was quite a big shift in between. Okay. And their mother, Ilsa, was eight months pregnant with what would be another child. Now, Charlie had never up to this point had any significant issues. He seemed like a normal kid. Described by those who knew him, he was quiet and well-behaved. I don't think that would be a normal kid. Yeah. Quiet and well-behaved. But on that evening, Charlie did something no one could have expected. While his father was shaving and getting ready to turn in for the evening and his very pregnant mother was soaking in the bathtub a few feet away and his sister Angela was reading in her bedroom and his two younger sisters were already in bed, Charlie walked into the bathroom where his mother was bathing and his father was shaving and he walked in with his father's fully loaded Luger pistol, which Charlie had plucked from his dad's nightstand. His parents were distracted, what? talking to each other, and didn't even notice as Charlie, 13-year-old, raised the gun and pointed it at his dad. No way. And just as his old man looked into the mirror and saw what was happening, he yelled, Charlie, don't, right as Charlie fired one bullet into his father's back. Oh my gosh. He then walked over to the bathtub where his mother watched in horror as her 13-year-old son fired five rounds into her at nearly point-blank range. I'm so confused. The last words Ilsa managed to yell out were Angela, call the police, and she then slumped into the bathtub and died. Angela approached the bathroom door and saw the horrific scene inside, and just then, Charlie pointed the gun at his sister and pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. Angela begged her brother to stop, but he appeared unreachable. He had a faraway look in his eyes, a cold, glazed-over expression, like he was in a daze. He then lunged at his sister and attacked her. And as they struggled, Angela kept telling her brother that she loved him over and over again. And she saw that blank expression start to disappear as though wherever Charlie had gone, he was returning. He was coming back to his senses. He then asked his sister, what did I do? Angela told him she didn't know, but they'd work through it and everything was going to be okay. Gosh, I have a hard time with this. I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel. I don't think I'm going to express how I feel because I don't know how I feel. I just think it's crazy. He killed his mom and dad at 13 years old. I mean, 13, you know, between what, right and wrong at that point. And he didn't go to jail? Obviously, something's not right. 100%. So how is he out in the world? We'll get there. Okay. 
She gave him some blankets and asked him to take them upstairs and get Melanie and Jessica so they could leave the house and seek help. Angela watched as Charlie walked up the stairs backwards, facing her the entire time, begging her not to leave him. And she assured him she wasn't going to. But once Charlie was far enough away, Angela made a run for it, darting from the house toward the nearest neighbor. Charlie gave chase with betrayal oozing from his voice as he called out, you said you wouldn't leave me, while Angela banged on her next door neighbor's door. Charlie got closer and Angela again ran. But just then, the neighbors opened the front door to find out what all the commotion was about. And that's when they found Charlie standing on their porch. I just shot my mom and dad, he told them. At the scene, cops and medics found Charlie's mother dead and they were unable to save her unborn baby. Charlie's father was in serious condition with a gunshot wound to his back. He was able to gather enough strength to tell police that it was Charlie, his own son, who was responsible before being rushed to the hospital in an effort to save his life. Charlie was handcuffed and taken down to the police station. During the interview, police, of course, asked him why he'd done it, why he'd shot his parents and attempted to shoot his sister. Charlie could offer no explanation other than to say, I just felt the urge. Everything seemed to snap. Oh, my. He indicated that it may have been due to pressures at school and pressures at home. Earlier that very evening, he had been sternly reprimanded by his mother for not finishing a homework assignment. And then he told police that while they were out of town in Florida, while they were out hunting, his father shot and killed the family dog, Charlie's beloved beagle, Mm. which Charlie considered his only friend. Now, because Charlie was only 13 years old when he killed his mother and shot his father, who ended up surviving, state law at the time prohibited criminal prosecution of minors under the age of 14. So a grand jury decided that he was not criminally responsible. Charlie was evaluated by a mental health professional and was deemed to suffer from, quote, a serious psychiatric disorder. Oh, you think? And so Charlie was committed for treatment at a psychiatric hospital in Indianapolis, which... Gosh, it's just... It's so hard, but I'm I'm glad that he hopefully is getting the help he needed. But obviously, it's not going to turn out. It's just think. hard because I am all about people changing. Don't get me wrong. But I don't know if you can change that. It wasn't just like... So I think there's a big difference between breaking and entering, right? And then maybe killing someone and what, what Charlie did. Right. Right? There's... There's obviously a big difference between going up to your parents and killing them for zero reason. I mean, like, I don't think breaking and entering and killing someone's obviously okay. But, I mean, I I think I can wrap my brain around why they might have killed someone. Like, if it was they were stealing something. Right. But a motive. Just, yeah, a motive. But there was zero motive. I well, mean, he was, like, possessed almost. We're we're really in deep mud here because yeah. he's 13. And this is a hard conversation. There's going to be a lot of opinions. I'm just telling you my opinion. And Go ahead. We, and we can move on. It's Go just, ahead. That's just insane. Okay, but here's the issue. He goes to the psychiatric hospital, but he ends up only spending a year there. Oh, my God. After which he was released back to his father, who had forgiven Charlie for what he had done. And Herbert imposed a strict family policy forbidding any discussion of what had happened that evening in 1971, which, okay. But the Fort Wayne community didn't forgive and forget as easily as Charlie's dad and the weight of public perception because of the degree to which Charlie's offenses were publicized in the local media became too much for the Brants. Because of this, Herbert moved his family down to Ormond Beach, Florida, where Charlie was able to resume living a normal life, attending high school, getting fairly good grades. Herbert eventually met someone new and remarried, and that's when he packed up the family, his new wife, and the two younger daughters, Melanie and Jessica, 
and moved them back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, leaving Charlie and his sister Angela behind in Ormond Beach, where Charlie lived with his grandparents until he finished high school. Okay. And then the rest of Charlie's life seemed to be average, maybe even above average. Charlie went to college and earned an associate degree and then became an electronics technician specializing in radar. He got a job with Raytheon, one of America's largest defense contractors, and that job took him to the Bahamas, where Charlie was put in charge of intercept the smuggling of illegal drugs into the United States. Charlie ran a surveillance blimp called Fat Albert that was based out of the Florida Keys where he would later live. When Charlie first met Terry, his sister Angela pushed him to be open with her and come clean about his past and about what had happened when he was 13 years old. But Charlie couldn't do it. And he asked Angela to keep it to herself. This was a secret he didn't want to share. Okay. He didn't want his future wife, Terry, knowing what he had done. And that in all likelihood is why Charlie didn't invite his family to the wedding and generally kept his family Got away it. from his new wife. Okay. And was probably why he was nervous that day. And by all accounts, their marriage really was a happy one. Their friends and colleagues saw them as affectionate, both with established careers, both living in what many saw as a dream house, a beach house in the Florida Keys, a tropical paradise. But then in 1989, the same year they moved into their newly built house, something grisly happened not far from where they lived. Do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch, and it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years, so it is absolutely amazing, easy to use, so intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, 
and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. Downtown by the A1A Causeway, beneath the bridge connecting Big Pine Key to Little Torch Key, lived a woman named Sherry Parisho. Now, Sherry was 39 years old and known to locals as the transient who lived down by the bridge. But Sherry was homeless by choice. She was like Terry Brandt, whom she didn't know, a free spirit. Her spirit was merely free in a different way. She was a former beauty queen with an IQ approaching genius level. She was well-read and had a broad range of interests. And she was just a bit touched, as they used to say, about people who straddled the fine line between eccentric and mentally ill. Okay. On the morning of September 7th, 1989, a group of fishermen were down by the causeway when they hooked what they felt like was their biggest catch of their oh, life. Oh, no. And it was Sherry. She was dead, dead from based on what the medical examiner could determine blood loss. But it wasn't just blood that Sherry lost. Sherry, in addition to having had her throat slit, was missing her heart. Whoever killed her had also cut her heart out very cleanly with clear precision. And it wasn't the first murder in this part of the Keys in recent years where the victim had been found without a heart. So... I'm just going to be mind blown if he's killed multiple people this whole time. Like, that's insane. And no one ever knew. Well, in December of 1988, a 20-year-old leukemia survivor named Lisa Sanders attended a party on No Name Key in a house at the end of No Name Road. The last time Lisa was seen alive was around 9.30 that night when she left the party and walked away on foot. The next day, only a couple hours after her parents reported her missing when she failed to return home, Lisa's badly battered body was found in a gravel pit. She had been stabbed, beaten, and tied to a car with a rope around her neck and dragged, and her heart Jeez. was also missing from her body. This is brutal. But these two murders in the span of just 10 months, both in the same general area where the victims' hearts were missing, left authorities and the press speculating that there may be some kind of devil-worshipping cult in the area, making human sacrifices. Again, this was the 1980s. But one person who wasn't convinced that it was a cult was Terry Brandt, the wife of Charlie Brandt. She'd heard about Sherry's murder. I mean, obviously, it was just a quarter mile away from the Brandt's home. And there was a composite sketch of a suspicious man seen crossing the highway the night of Sherry's murder. And that sketch sort of looked like Charlie, mm. her husband. But the thing that really shook Terry was that very same night, she came home to find Charlie inside the fish cleaning room of their house. That's right. They had a fish cleaning room. And Charlie was covered in blood, her husband. The sink also was just bathed in blood. And there was not a fish to be seen anywhere. And if there had been a fish, it would have had to have been the size of a marlin to produce that much blood. Yeah. Now, during dinner one night with Charlie and his brother-in-law, Charlie stepped away to use the restroom, and Terry took this opportunity to confide in Jim her concerns. It was probably a fish, he told her, but Terry didn't think so. She suspected that her husband, Charlie, may have been responsible so for the mutilation murder down by the bridge. I don't know what you do. She asked him, should I call the sheriff? But Charlie's brother-in-law told her she would be doing so at her own risk. Because if it turned out that Charlie had nothing to do with it, and most likely he didn't, he said, 
then that would probably spell the end of their marriage. And is that a risk she was willing to take? Terry decided it wasn't. And that was the last time she spoke of it until the second half of September 2004. Upon talking to Angela and learning about his childhood and about how he killed his mother. And upon talking to Charlie's brother-in-law and learning about Terry's suspicions in 1989, investigators were beginning to suspect that Charlie Brandt not only did a murder-suicide, but was also probably a serial killer. Okay. Authorities down in Monroe County in Big Pine Key were satisfied that Charlie Brandt was probably responsible for all of these murders. So they closed Sherry's case. But then they began looking at other murders Charlie may have been responsible for. Other murders of women where the victim's hearts were removed. And they found one in Miami in 1995. It was on November 24th of that year that a woman's body was found inside a black plastic bag wrapped tightly in a sheet and dumped near a building materials plant on the western edge of Miami-Dade County. Fingerprints identified the victim as 38-year-old Darlene Toller, a sex worker from Detroit who had lived in South Florida for the previous few years. And notably, Toller had been decapitated and had her heart cut out of her body. Mm. Police had no leads whatsoever until Charlie Brandt's gruesome murder-suicide in 2004, when they closed Sherry's case and realized that Charlie's niece's body was treated much the same as Darlene's in Miami-Dade County, looked into it and learned that Charlie Brandt frequently traveled the same highway off of which Darlene Toller was dumped. And he also kept meticulous mileage records of all of his travels. And the day that Darlene was estimated to have been killed, November 23rd, Brant's mileage log showed an entry for 100 miles, which would have been exactly the distance to and from Big Pine Key and where Darlene's body was found. Why would he cut the hearts out? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Oh, I think he just had some problems that's so weird like killing someone but then doing what he did afterwards is a whole nother i thought maybe he was selling them or trying to get money but no he was just doing it because a serial killer because he's insane and so police are like dang this guy has killed more than we think and they look further back in 1978 a 12 year old girl named carol sullivan was abducted from a school bus stop in Volusia county where charlie brandt was living at the time Her skull was later found in a bucket, and it was because of this, because of the likelihood that she had been decapitated, that police also consider Brant a possible suspect in her murder. In all, the lead investigator in Seminole County, where Brant killed himself and his two family members, found 26 different murders that bore some similarities to Charlie Brant's M.O. That would make him one of the biggest serial killers ever. But... It was only Sherry Parisho and Darlene Toller that they were able to link to him for sure. Got it. And so those are the only two who have been closed with Charlie Brandt as the killer. But there's still 26 other open murders where he is the main suspect. And he's dead. So it's not like where we're going to get any more information on this. Obviously DNA, but that's probably but it's way just past the point. Also like resources. I yeah. mean. Because I mean, he's dead. So right, I mean, right. I think part of them is like. Not that they should do this, but why should we continue to look in these murders? But it sucks because they're never going to know who it is as well. Yeah, and that was the story of the victims of Charlie Brandt and also the possibility that there are way more and he is a way bigger prolific serial killer than we think. I never understand. I'll never understand serial killers that have a wife and like a full-on relationship and seem to really love their wife because they're not killing them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did at the end. But that's because maybe he assumed he was going to get caught. Yeah, obviously. I don't know. 
I don't I don't understand the psychology behind all that. Oh, I think on that trip, obviously Terry found out and then voiced her suspicions and says and he, said that's to why him, he was freaking out. I know what you did to your mother and now I know you were responsible and it's also possible she said, I'm gonna turn you in. Which is like oh, it sucks. That whole thing is so bad. It's horrible. Oh, it's devastating. All right, you guys, that is our case for this week, and we will see you next time with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. <laughs>